0: Hello, and welcome to the Equity Foundation podcast. The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of Actors' Equity. Our mission is to assist, educate, and inspire performers. To find out more, visit
1: www.equityfoundation.org.au.
0: Welcome along to this session. To start with, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that I'm coming to you from, the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'd like to acknowledge Elders past, present, and extend that acknowledgement to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people here today. Um, feel free to acknowledge the land that you're on in the chat to get the ball rolling. Okay, I need to say thanks to Screen Australia for their support of the 2021 uh, Screen Diversity Showcase. This evening's panel discussion will be recorded as you can see Um, so if you are asking a question just be aware of that and it will be made on available on demand for those unable to attend hello if you're watching post 602 p.m on Thursday the 2nd of September okay this panel will also feature a live Q&A so we encourage everyone to get involved Um, if you've got a question you can pop it into the Q&A function if you're feeling a bit shy and you want to ask a question but you prefer if I read it out on your behalf just pop that in the question as well in brackets to say Pearl to read out and that is perfectly fine. All right. so when it comes to conversations about diversity, inclusion and access, there are often things that come up uh, that can be confronting, uncomfortable or triggering so so a couple of things today. Firstly, let's look after ourselves in this space. If you need to take a break at any time, feel free to step away. Um, And secondly, language is changing daily and it's it's challenging to keep up with all of the elements of these changing nature from every aspect so if we hear questions or comments or something said today um, that perhaps was clumsily said let's create an environment where we can support each other and meet each other where we're at in our journeys on this path okay so Going to introduce our amazing panelists. We have Lena Nalos. Hello, Lena. We've got Michelle Law. Hi, Michelle. Hi. And we've got Kate Hood. Hi, Kate. Hi. Okay, so this is the first panel discussion for the Screen Diversity Showcase this year. We're talking about changing the story, diversity in today's industry. So I'd like to frame this evening's discussion because we're seeing the questions that are coming from the participants going all over the place. So to frame it, um, I've seen all the excellent work that you've done and people watching, I know some of the participants that have done over the years, um, as advocates for for quite a while. So this massive question, and it's a triple barrel question. How far do you think we've come? How would you describe where we're at now? And where do you think we need to go next? It's pretty massive, pretty massive, just to kind of so that we can hear from you and and then I know who to throw the questions at who wants to go first. Far out, Pearl. (laughs) (laughs) just just solve all the world's problems for sure first part of the question was how far have we come where are we now and where do you think we need to go next
2: I feel like Lena will have a lot of data to 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 speak to Um, I guess I'm speaking from a creative practitioner's um, perspective Uh, I feel like it depends on what industry you're talking about but in terms of the screen sector I think we've I I would say in the last 10 or even five years, we've come a long way. I feel like there's still a lot more work to do in terms of especially diverse peoples being in leadership positions and um, addressing systemic and institutionalized um, oppression. (laughs) Um, And I hope moving forward, that's able to change by... um, more people from diverse backgrounds being given those opportunities and um, gatekeepers who are currently in power now relinquishing a bit of that power. A heavy start. <laughs> Kate,
0: maybe we'll come to you next because um, Lena, um, I might throw straight to the, the research that Michelle just spoke to.
3: Um, Kate, what about that massive question for you? I It is a massive question. I, I actually really think that um, the performing arts in Australia is at a real tipping point. And I think that we have the option to go um, one way or another. And I think that we have the option to recognize that our industry does not reflect the world accurately or we can ignore it, which is what we've been doing up until now. And I I truly think that the advent of COVID has brought privilege and advantage and, uh, you know, class and um, First Nations people, um, you know, the disadvantage that is felt by people, particularly I'm thinking about myself as a disabled artist too, and that we haven't actually yet really shone light on the people in our own industry who are not being seen enough on our screens, on television or on film. And I think that we can really do something about that. I think that we need to be having conversations like this one um, about that. And I think it's only through communicating with one another and connecting, really connecting properly with one another that we're gonna change things.
0: And Lena, what about your thoughts before I we've um, got a question about the, your research just in general before we get to that? Yeah,
1: I have a different take as well, hopefully a complementary take, um, which is that you know the way that change happens is not always linear, and in fact there has been amazing activism and work for decades and decades in the in the um, you know cult- culturally diverse migrant POC space and for hundreds of years in the first nation space Um, so i think that there has been a lot of work that's been done that's been erased and kind of one of the things that that i'm working on and we're tackling at diversity arts is um, how do we bring those stories you know kind of into um bring those bring those stories together those that historical work that's been done and kind of have it in a way that's accessible so people can build on it and be aware of it. And I think of an example of so many years ago now, I think around 2005 and I met with the Hong Kong film archives and they were telling me about a project that they were doing where they were documenting uh Hong Kong specifically you know diaspora in um, Australia and Canada and other other countries where they knew that these filmmakers lived in community and were making these films and distributing through the community and they were kind of collecting them all for their archives and this was in the 70s and 80s so when people say um, there aren't any it hasn't happened it's it's that you don't know about what's happened. It's, it has been happening. Creativity, you know, um, making art, making film work has always happened amongst culturally diverse communities, migrant communities. It's just not always there in, in the mainstream. It hasn't been supported in the mainstream. And the history of it happening has been erased. So, um, sorry. Uh, yeah, so where, where are we at? Where are we going? That's a thesis but um, I think the last 18 months have been incredible and have um, definitely brought about, you know, kind of an acceleration in change for the sector, a, a kind of a, a willingness to kind of reflect an awareness um, because of Black Lives Matters, because in Australia of, you know, um, you know uh, Indigenous deaths in custody, Black deaths in custody, which have been around for decades as well, but weren't as, as well known. And I think um, the collective rage from underrepresented communities was heard in, in, you know, by the mainstream, possibly for the first time um, in my lifetime, in my lifetime, but not, you know. Um, yeah, so I think that that gives us a really amazing opportunity to kind of seize this moment and, um, and, and the work that's being done, at, you know, and has be, been done um, to kind of accelerate that as well and push harder
0: for change. Love that. Wow. What a opening and what a great palette of um, um, opinions to kind of like start not opinions, things. I don't know what to call it. (laughs) I'm going to throw to Lumka Coleman, who has a question about the research so we can that uh, Diversity Arts Australia has done. Hi, Lena.
1: Hi, (laughs) thanks for the question. Hi.
4: No worries. Um, yeah. So Lena, it was my question for you because I really liked your report. Um, just because it gave me a lot of clarity it was disheartening but also um, edifying as well and I'm just wondering you made second seven recommendations when it came out August 2019 I'm just wondering how we're tracking because I really feel like it's like a a benchmark in terms of you know how we can create standards of reporting in Australia and it could see more examples of how we can, you know, keep on communicating the progress. Cause you're right, there is some, but how do we quantify it?
1: Yeah, so we did this report called Shifting the Balance for those who don't know, which you can find via our website. Um, And it looked at leadership across the arts, screens and creative sectors. It looked at nearly 2,000 leaders in 200 major organisations and companies. And it found that in more than half of um, companies and arts organisations and screen organisations in Australia that um, there was no culturally diverse leadership. It's um, even kind of more dire in the screen and broadcasting sector with um, nearly 60%, 59% of leadership being non-culturally diverse. Um, and so, um, you know, and, and, and in general like um, 9% of leaders in the creative, um, creative, in the screen sector are from um, culturally diverse backgrounds. And that doesn't include uh, indigenous backgrounds, which is 2%. And so basically people who are not indigenous and not culturally and linguistically diverse make up 89 percent of people in leadership roles in the screen sector, and that's including boards and um, uh, you know awards panels. So it's pretty it's pretty serious you know it's pretty serious that we kind of need the change. And what we did is we we put the data together with a series of recommendations about what needed to um, what needed to change and. We are planning on doing a follow-up kind of report to see what impact it has actually had. And what we know anecdotally is that um, from from people contacting us, is that it has seeded quite a few um, areas of change. We know that, uh, you know, on at least two occasions, more than two occasions, um, the, for example, the the writing industry has and the publishing industry has recognised how um, the underrepresentation of leadership and, ha- and, and two separate um, organisations have introduced kind of mentorship um, programs to address that and have asked us to support them on those. So that's how we know about them. Quite a few organisations wrote to us and said, you know, when you did your research, we didn't have any diversity on our board or in leadership, but now we do. So we know that it's given people cause to kind of reflect. We recently, you know, without any discussion with us in advance, which is fantastic, got news that um, an organisation called D&D Shift had partnered with Google and were providing a training programme in in I think kind of media and and advertising and they actually cited in all their media the shifting the balance report for the reason that they were running this program and the program was going to be focused on culturally diverse and underrepresented communities so we asked for yeah I feel like I'm talking too much we asked for a lot of (laughs) we know that it's having impact we know that it's caused uh, it's created a lot of discussion and reflection and we know that um Uh, we we need to kind of do a follow-up report and um, and we know other organizations are taking it on as well like taking on elements of it reflecting it and we always have those advocates in organization who need these hard data so they can push things through as well so it's also supporting their work
0: thank Thank you um, thank you very much Kate did you have something to add
3: Um, oh look you know I'm sitting here thinking well you know of course disability leadership is kind of really non-existent in the the screen industry, um, or to my knowledge anyway. But there are some wonderful disabled filmmakers in this country, Fiona Toomey being one. Um, And I wonder why disability is kind of not really included in diversity often. And I wonder why in the screen industry, it's not included. I don't have an answer for that, but I'm putting it out there.
0: Well, I might then throw to Dan Graham, who's got um, a question about this. Hey, Dan. Oh. How are you Hi
5: going? guys. Oh, okay. Hi. So my question is on those li- on along those, those lines, as um, I am actually a person who identifies as being a person of a disability, as well as being a professional uh, director as well as many other forms of diversity. I was just wondering if a panel have got any um, ideas how um, we can create a better space. So just what Kate said, how allies can actually come on board and actually understand basically the importance of disability in this conversation in terms of disability. and Because often I know, obviously I do know Kate, if you will, as people will be aware, but we I often say that it can be quite a lonely experience that even ex- examples that I can give that I have been putting myself in a more kind of a leadership role, but it is basically me having to seek close opportunities, if that makes sense. And it's obviously, with us making this a Dan Graham show, the reason why I'm doing it is because just what Kate is saying, that this discussion in terms of disability is often overlooked. So, yeah, I if a panel had any thoughts on that matter.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, can I just, you know, hold forth, Pearl? Um, cut me off whenever you want to, because I'll, I'll just keep going. <laughs> you know, um, Well, I think that, uh, Dan, thanks for your, your question. I, I really think that um, we, re- we need to hang on to our allies and create more. But I think that at the heart of this, we need to understand That there is no pathway for disabled artists in Australia. As an actor, I um, spent half of my life as a non-disabled person, and so I was able to go to drama school, but I know for a fact that drama schools do not take quotas of deaf and disabled um, students, so there is no pathway you know, the experience that you all have of going to drama school and having a cohort and doing your third year production is not (laughs) our experience. And so in order to create a pool of outstanding and, uh, you know, um, talented and, you know, sought after disabled actors, people who are able to really contribute to um, the performing arts in Australia, we need people to be trained. And it needs to be acknowledged that we are actually one in five people. (laughs) So I'm pegging that we are one in five people within the performing arts as well. In fact, I know that we have within the performing arts people who have dyslexia, people who are on the spectrum, people who suffer from anxiety, for example, but it's never spoken about. And I think that there is a real opportunity to um, ask people what they need to do their best work and to listen to the answers and to accommodate the idea that everybody actually has access needs. So for me, you know, In order to get allies, we need to have um, people saying, okay, in the independent sector, we've got no money, but we can actually choose where we put on our play. And we can choose not to do that in a place that's inaccessible. We can actually research this and find out. We can actually, when we're applying for funding, make sure that in, in the budget, there is an access line. And that is not only for audiences, but for uh, disabled artists as well. So suddenly it becomes possible for people, if they've got, they've got the money to do it, and if Creative Victoria and OLSCO are across this very thing, I think they are gradually getting across it but I don't really think that all artists are across it. And Mm. I think everybody should be, because um, hey, it's a fact of life. One in five people, come on. Um, And the other thing that people can do to be allies is to actively seek us out and work with us. Just find us, in my ideal world, next David Williamson play I would audition for alongside my my non-disabled colleagues. There would be absolutely no problem with that. And I, I, I really feel that we've got an opportunity to change the industry. And I actually think to change the thinking in the world about disability. And I think we should because, hey, we've got the microphone, we've got the stage, we've got the lights, you know, we can be on television and do this. I'm gonna shut up now. Um.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Dan, thanks, Kate. Um, You mentioned the screen agencies, Kate, and and what they should be doing. We've got a question from Martine Delaney on that. And this
6: one's probably for you, Michelle.
0: (laughs) Hi, Martine. Beautiful.
6: Um, Hello, everybody. Um, my question is, what responsibility, to, and this is to anybody, what responsibility, it's two-part, do you see creatives um, owning in relation to ensuring our stories are more inclusive and authentic um, in both creation and the casting? And as a second part of that, what, what role do you think that various guilds and screen agencies have? Because I, I still get really frustrated when nobody... we we just have this ongoing situation where I I worked on a a feature film a year or so, a couple of years ago with a trans protagonist um, and a DOP who wanted to have trans camera crew, but couldn't find anybody. And in the end had to go and find other people. Um, But next time he goes looking, he's still not going to find them because nobody's actually doing a hell of a lot to change that situation. If we never have a, trans focus puller we're never going to have a trans DOP so I don't know where do, where do you see we as creatives have what role do we have and what do agencies and guilds owe to that
3: can I jump in here Poo because yeah. I think uh, you know, to me um, it, it's exactly the thing that I've been uh, that's been in my mind and ah. In my mind is the fact that we're in charge of our own narratives and we need to somehow find a way of making our own narratives available to the screen, uh, you know, leadership. We need to actually be able to have conversations with them and we need to see trans people in leadership roles on screen as well, as well as disabled people, as well as First Nations, LGBTIQ, you know, um, Asian Australians, whatever. We need to see the plurality that we see in society, in leadership positions, in screen. That's what I think. And it's only when we've got that that we'll start actually telling our own stories and seeing them up there in lights.
2: Yeah, I think from a creative's point of view, I mean, I'm, I'll speak a bit about a creative's POV as well as what I think guilds and industry bodies should, should, should be like. But as a creative, I think the responsi- responsibility you have is that, you know, if I'm writing about a, a minority person, whatever their, ba- their background might be or whatever marginalized community I might be um, exploring, if that doesn't come from my own background or life, I'll bring on creatives who have had that life experience in a significant way, um, whether that's a producer or another writer or a director or actors. When it's something that I'm working on by myself, um, for example, if it's a play, um, I'll conduct research and interviews and I'll engage paid test readers and pay consultants for their time. But at the same time, I think consultants... Should be people who aren't in the sector, <laughs> otherwise that feels quite exploitative to me. Um, when it comes to guilds and industry bodies, I mean, in a perfect world for me, I've noticed that that many guilds and, and industry bodies have a separate arm that's like, and here are the diverse people. <laughs> this is the main. This is the main guild, but this is like our subsection of other. <laughs> and in an ideal world that would just be the guild itself as yeah. opposed to them needing to reach out to like a specialized task force because that just reinforces a sense of otherness and marginalization um, but yeah that's that's how I feel about both of those things
6: Thanks.
2: thank you thank um, you we have a, a number of
0: questions now in the, in the Q&A and I looking at the themes of the questions that I've got, I've got some things about safe spaces and then I've got things about um, actors. So let's start with this kind of um, safe spaces first. I've got a question from Undy who can't make it, Undy Lee, can't make it here today, but I'll ask it for him. Um, what's the best way to regulate safe spaces for diverse writers, actors and directors? And I know there was a... a panel that was um anituary and diversity in australian media just ran which unfortunately i couldn't make it to but um yeah it's it's starting to become i'm seeing this become a bigger conversation piece now about cultural safety what do you all think about ways that we could achieve
1: that i um should i can i say a few words yeah go for it yeah um i think that it's the i think that there's there's like so many things to this question i think that there's a responsibility of the companies that you're working with or the organizations to have diversity and inclusion plans or equity action plans um, for people to have ongoing training because tr- training is not something that's finite. Um, and so those companies need to have capacity to work with, um, you know, to, to work with a lot of diversity at all levels. And, Um, There's also a role there for for equity and for the unions and industry bodies to provide support for artists and also for ongoing education for the industry and awareness about, um, you know, like awareness campaigns, regular campaigns, um, including kind of policy documents and and research, like that is really something that's desperately needed. I also think that there needs to be... um, yeah, I, there needs to, to be autonomous spaces as well alongside that. And then, of course, you know, because you mentioned Anna, <laughs> there are so many great support. It's it's not necessarily regulating safe spaces in this sense, but there are so many excellent um, support services now for mm-hmm. um, diverse writers, actors and directors, you know, like on online or, or um, groups that kind of meet and... Um, that, that can also kind of provide support and strategy and that's also sometimes when you need allyship when artists themselves might not want to speak out about things because it might actually impact their career opportunities then that is when you know unions and industry bodies can can show allyship by doing this by doing this work and speaking out about these issues and calling calling out these issues was that too vague over to the practice <laughs>
2: I was thinking that um, I feel safest when the screen agency or the theatre company or the film set where I'm working, at, the space actually looks like the real world in which I live. And, you know, based on the research that's been done by um, diversity arts, that doesn't seem to be happening right now. And I think that can be quite um, dangerous and harmful. And I think that's what... <laughs> We're sort of like at a push and pull moment that that Kate was highlighting before. Like now is a real turning point where we're having these conversations and in an honest way where where companies want to make tangible changes. Um, But I think in that sense, you know, you you have a lot of companies who talk about these targets that they want to reach or, you know, they have plans moving forward. But I feel like there even needs to be like an an out outside body that holds them accountable to that, that shouldn't be from within the company. Um, And not to be too punitive about it, but, you know, if they don't reach those goals, then something should
3: happen. I agree. I absolutely agree. But I I also think that um, on a, a really basic level, people have to get genuinely curious about who is in the room. And we need to be valuing one another's um, experience, lived experience so that every diversity can be celebrated within the performing arts. And I don't see that happening at the moment. I think that basically we've got a whole bunch of methodologies that have worked for centuries and they're not working anymore. So we all kind of need to uh, look into one another's eyes and say, why not? Why is this not happening? And celebrate all of the people that we are, you know, um, and acknowledge too that that is going to make the work richer and more vibrant. Amazing.
0: Or right, I'm going to smoosh a couple of questions together. James, if we could um, spotlight Maloki Hartle, um, but to, to set up their question, one of the questions from Rafif Ismail, who also sent this in ahead of time, but isn't here today. Um, their question is for emerging creatives: What are the best ways to network and approach industry professionals? And then Maloki, like I think you can expand on on that as well, because I love your your very nicely worded question. Go for it.
7: Hi, um, my name is Milo. I couldn't figure Milo, out. How to thank you. It, but you know, that's my government name, Maloki. Uh, <laughs> My pronouns are she, her, and I'm on Wurundjeri land at the moment. Thanks, Myla. Um, I just, you know, whenever I think about diversity and presence on screen, I and bringing it up with, you know, a lot of panels and leaders who oftentimes are old white dudes... I I feel like you get met with the narrative like of, oh, well, you know, we'd love to be casting those people, but they're just not auditioning. And it's really not surprising because it sometimes feels so out of reach to be able to even get to the stage of applying to audition. And, yeah, I just, I don't know if there was any, if you guys had any insight on that and, like, that whole getting your foot in the door thing seems like such a old way of thinking, but with, you know, a lot of the people who are of that time and of that belief system still that, you know, you need to know people to get somewhere. It's like, you know, how do you even begin? How do you, like, it just seems like so far fetched to even believe you could get to be in a room or, you know, on an audition Zoom kind of dealio. That was a very large question, but I'm just going (laughs) to handball that one over.
3: The thing that immediately strikes me is that if people are not welcome in the room, they're not going to feel like they belong there, right? And the other thing that really strikes me is that that those white dudes who run the industry are very privileged people and privilege never wants to step down it never does. So the privilege that everybody has is kind of like a self-sourcing pudding, I reckon. And it takes a lot to kind of just push it to one side and say, well, you know, I'm going to be in the room with everybody else now. And it doesn't matter about privilege because we've been brought up to believe that actually it is the thing. It's really, really important. And we've also been brought up with what I call the myth of perfection. So if, we, if you don't fit into that mythology, then you don't even get into the room at the moment. And I think that I think talking about it is the only way to change it. I think confronting it. I think, yeah, maybe we just need to wait for the old white dudes to die. I don't know. But I, I look, I do think that young people like you, Milo, going to make the change, absolutely. Like my age group, forget about it. (laughs) But hey, you know, we're all gonna be dead pretty soon. So, you know.
7: I found that interesting as well, the self-sourcing pudding idea because I recently feel like I'm beginning to break through but I've only been able to do that since I have financially been able to support getting into auditions and, you know, paying for the show cast, Profile and, but before I had a job that I could, that I could pay to be an actor with. It was like, what am I gonna do? I don't. Who's got the hundred and whatever dollars to join Showcast and yada yada yada? Yeah,
2: I'm just trying to figure out how I got my start as like a CAL person. Also, I love you in that Google ad. <laughs> I saw you pop up and I was like, oh my God, I'm starstruck. Um, (laughs) I would say um, things that were helpful that I found were joining particular um, like Facebook groups, like Anna's got a really great one on Facebook, attending like the free networking events. Um, Something I found helpful was like entering competitions. I guess this is from more of a writer's perspective if you want to get into writing in the future. Um, entering free competitions. And then, you know, if you get shortlisted or a runner up or something, or you even win, like that's a way of getting your name out. Um, Trying to find a casual job that is somehow aligned with your industry. So um, like working in a box office at a theater. And this sounds um, very cynical. but you know diversity is sort of the hot thing at the moment and everyone sort of accuses us of playing the race card or you know but everyone's got a hand of cards that they're playing they just they might just not be conscious of it you know they might be playing the white card they might be playing the male card whatever um or the straight card what have you um and so my attitude is to when something is in vogue it's not going to be in vogue forever <laughs> And so you sort of use that as an opportunity, as leverage for, you know, whether that's reaching out to, to get an agent um, because they're looking for diverse people at the moment um, to, for, for their books. Um, so I feel like uh, leaning into these points in, in time of, of things being trendy, I don't see it as playing a particular card. I see it as getting leverage so you're at least at the same almost level as someone who's much more privileged than you
0: thank you very much thanks milo and lena you've got a um you've posted as well the creative equity toolkit in the chat yeah because i i I want to i
1: want to believe that things are going to change and the older gen is going to die out and um unfortunately like power self-replicates power and power is not something that then privilege isn't something people can just give over or stop having, and I want to think otherwise, but I know it to not be true. So I do think going back to what Michelle was saying about how do we hold companies accountable? I think anyone who gets public funding has to have has to meet diversity standards, and they should be embedded. They should be part, you know, across all all state funding and all government agencies. Um, So I think the way that there needs to be, there needs to be a way of holding people accountable. Otherwise change isn't going to happen if it's not in their interest. People aren't going to say, not necessarily going to say I'm going to give up power, but yeah. And I also love Milo's ad. It's my kids and mine, my favorite ad and my mom's at the moment. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so um, yeah, so the Creative Equity Toolkit is a resource that we've developed that is to kind of support the sector. Um, really keen to explore how it might be inclusive of diversity. Kate, our organisation's focused on cultural and racial equity, but um, but there is um, you know like there's if you if you search for support networks, there's a, there's a whole heap, and we can probably add to that. But I think we need those support networks to yeah. keep us all fill out what do you fill out something inside our souls out <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah on that um sabina has a question on that about this kind of you know filling ourselves and advocacy and and balancing that hi sabina
7: hello hello everybody so my question is basically how do we balance advocacy and artistry it it kind of sucks that we have to do this work but there's no way to not do it if we want our work to be anywhere near the mainstream, I mean, or in the English speaking industry at all. So
6: um,
7: I'd love to know the on
2: that. I mean, it's really exhausting. It just sort of feels like you have two full-time jobs, being an artist and then being an advocate. And there's this pressure that you feel within yourself, but also from like your community, whatever community or communities you belong to to everything you make has to represent everyone at once because that's the problem of being of um, systemic oppression and, and you get a community that doesn't have a voice for so long and suddenly we're given a platform and it's like everything has to be perfect and everything needs to be said immediately without any flaws. Um, so my advice would be finding a balance sort of comes with, it's a lot of self-care, and realizing that not every single fight is your fight. Um, and realizing that, you know, you're allowed to make flawed work or, you know, even mediocre or bad work. It's all a part of your process. And that there are there are going to be other people in your community who are all working towards the same goal, maybe in a different way. But, but um, just reminding yourself that there are other people out there and there will be more who come up with you, with your support, if you're more established than they are?
3: I would say trust your instincts as well, because as a disabled um, artist, I absolutely have a nose for people who, are, who don't have a problem with disability and a nose for people who do. And that doesn't matter whether they've ticked the box or not. I, I absolutely know who my allies are within about 10 seconds. So, um, and I'm sure you do too. So it's a matter of trusting yourself and um, expanding your networks through your trust. Beautiful.
1: And also surrounding yourself with support, you know, that allyship, the support from people to, to get you through as well. And some of us, like me, started off being, a writer and doing theater and then just kind of gave it all up to be you know advocates <laughs> don't do that <laughs> I'm doing it for my kids <laughs> but um but I, I'm I'm joking because I that's a I love that question thank you for that question Sabina that's the question that in the you know with my Arab um uh, you know, uh artist friends we're having a lot of the time you know and it's often women right we give up we end up taking on a lot of the advocacy so um, it's definitely a conversation where we're talking but we really want to do our work but no we
2: need to do the advocacy. Yeah and I think recognizing that it's a long game like it's going to be a marathon and there are things that will take it sounds maybe depressing but it will take generations to address and so all of the work you are doing now isn't wasted or, or anything it's all a part of that collective effort
3: and also I would say that um artistry and advocacy are always you know interlinked really and um for me I think that my work everything I do is a form of advocacy everything so every show I've ever on every piece of writing I've ever done is really advocacy, whatever it is. And I'm sure that that is the case with everybody on this panel as well. And I'm sure that's the case with you.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. All right, we've got a group of actors chomping at the bit to ask acting and directing type questions. So I'm going to start with um, Sally Cheng. I'm not sure if we'll be able to answer this question, but I definitely think it's going to open up the conversation. Um, So hi, Sally.
4: Hi, everyone. Lovely to meet you. Um, Kate, I love what you said about the myth of perfection. I absolutely (laughs) believe that so much. Um, My question is, have have you ladies seen um much of a change in casting lead roles and main characters with open ethnicity as opposed to characters that have been specifically specifically written as a certain ethnicity
2: um i i've seen it more it's more common practice in the states um especially when people go for pilot season um that's where i've seen it most i've seen it happening a a bit in Australia but it's more side characters or like the best friend as opposed to the lead um, but I think it comes down to two things like um, so the first would be whether you actually think a character's cultural background influences the way in which they move in their world which I personally think it does and I think other people probably have different opinions and the second point is like who's actually in charge or show running the project I mean an example is Sandra Oh in Killing Eve Mm. like she had to pepper her own character with specificities to do with Korean culture because none of the writers or directors on Killing Eve were Korean and that's not work that she should have had to have done as an actor I mean she should just be able to focus on acting that should be in the scripts already and when it comes to just casting openly I guess it's complicated because of course you wanna do a project that looks diverse and is, and is representative at face value. But I guess I take real umbrage with say, like a white team, suddenly, you know, they've developed an entire show and suddenly they come to casting and they're like, we should cast a POC for optics. Um, <laughs> because for me, it always comes down to like, who is, the helm, who is at the helm of the project and its genesis? Because I think a, cult, a character's cultural background is very intrinsic to who they are in the show or the, in the story, but that's just my opinion. I, I'm sure other people think differently.
4: Thank you, thanks so much.
3: I okay. mean, I think that I think that we're at, the, at the, that particular point in the performing arts in Australia where boxes are being ticked and it's a very cynical exercise actually, but in some way those boxes being ticked are to our advantage. Um, And we we need to actually jump on board and be a box and get ticked, you know, ourselves um, to make progress happen, real progress.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I love the example of Sandra Oh because that's, you know, it's such a beautiful, amazing show and she's such an amazing actress and um, it's just, so heartwarming to see someone like her as one of the lead cast members
2: yeah I remember reading a profile when she was doing the first season of Killing Eve and she got the script from her agent and she was flicking through it and she's like I don't understand which character I'm auditioning for like where's the Asian person and they're like oh no you're auditioning for the lead and she was like what (laughs) (laughs) like she had internalized that own racism herself and she was just really embarrassed by that but also it was understandable
4: yeah wow that's amazing yeah (laughs) we
2: actually got a follow-up
0: question in the chat Kate thanks thanks Sally um about from Martine about how do we get to the point though where box ticking is actually done through authentic processes do
3: you have any thoughts about that any of you Mm, good question I just think we've got to keep going and keep with we are in charge of our own narratives that's the basis of everything for me. And so, um, Martine, you need to be um, fierce about that yourself. And to be fierce about that and to remain fierce about it and strong about that is really difficult. I would um, liken that to me being disabled in an ableist world. Um, It's actually really, really difficult not to internalize Ableism for me. And so it would be very difficult for everybody on this panel not to internalize racism as well. Um, and for you, you know, not to internalize homophobia to some degree. And so I think that we need to really be kind to ourselves about that as well, but also really recognize that we've got to make strides ourselves. We've got to tell our own stories and make sure that they are authentically told out there.
1: Yeah, go for it. Well, maybe there's a mix. Like maybe it's also trying to influence the change in existing companies so that you've got writers and directors and people in leadership roles, people who are doing the casting, who are from culturally diverse First Nations, disabled and deaf and um, gender diverse backgrounds, but also having more self-determined companies as well um you know having more kind of companies that are led by um people of color or culturally diverse people if i'm talking about our organizations work for example or disabled led so that there are self-determined stories yep and it's at the heart of what is being done
0: i've got a question about directing actors um, from Rihanna, who is also not here, but wants me to ask it, but it sounds general, but I reckon let's just ask it. What can directors do to get the best performance from their actors?
2: <laughs> um, I'm not a director, but I'm an actor, so I can sort of speak from that perspective. I mean, I, I really respond when directors make me feel supported and heard, when I, have, when I feel like I have the freedom to make offers um, but I also appreciate when a director has a firm vision in mind. Um, so I'm sort of working within the parameters of of what they've, of the framework they've, they've set up for me, if that makes sense. But yeah, I think Kate can speak to this as well, for sure.
3: Um, I think really that um, for me, uh, I remember being in uh, a play called Contest a couple of years ago, and there was a moment where I looked around the room and I thought, Every person in this room has actually got an access need. I'm not the only person here with an access need because there was somebody who had dislocated her shoulder and it needed to be restrapped, and there was another person who had a sore hip, and there was um, somebody who'd given birth recently and had to express milk every four hours. And I thought, well, this is a beautiful thing because it's actually about what people's needs are and everybody's got them. And out of that, I formulated a question that I think I reckon needs to be asked inside every rehearsal room. And that question is, what do you need to do your best work? And it would be so great, wouldn't it, to go in and start rehearsing a play and have, Every single person, including the director and the tech people and the stage manager and um, the actors, everybody, everybody who's in the room, answer that question because suddenly it would equalize everybody's experience and we'd all be working together towards the same end. And the idea that there is, you know, privilege in the room. Would go because everybody would have exactly the same amount and everybody's experience would be appreciated yeah so that was a very roundabout way really of answering that question but I think that um, I think the best way to feel good in a room is to be welcomed into it and I think that the only way you can ever really be welcomed into a room is to be appreciated for all of who you are.
0: The chat is going off, And um, I, I do want to kind of use some of what's going on in the chat as a wrap up question. So I want to get to the other questions first. Um, we've got a couple, oh sorry, a couple about the um, differences in, in states. So, um, I, again, I don't know if we can answer this, but it'll be interesting. Um, can we spotlight Nathan Borg, please? And then I'm also just going to, while we're spotlighting him, highlight what Romy said in the um, chat which is, you know, coming from Perth, and I also am from Perth, and being culturally diverse, ethnic migrant, I feel very left out. Um, like, you know, where, where do you all come from in Australia? Um, and and Nathan, your question as well. Go for it. Hi, Nathan.
7: Oh, awesome. How are you going? Um, so I just wanted to ask, um, so as a deaf person in Australia, and I just did a TV show, but what I keep hearing about is that people will say, you know, overseas, you um, there's more diverse castings, um, there's more opportunities there, but there's people saying, you know, in the industry that, you know, there's more diverse opportunities in Queensland and and Sydney. And I just wanted to know, is that the truth case about the diverse castings? I really wonder, because I'm from Melbourne.
3: Um, Do you know what? I don't really know the answer to that question.
8: Yeah, because, yeah sure.
3: And I don't know the answer to that <laughs> question, because there has never been any, um, any inquiry into that. Yes. And there has never been any inquiry into that, because deaf and disabled um, artists are not seen as valuable in, yeah. within the performing arts. And I think that really has to change. So keep yeah. asking that question, Nathan. Yes, yeah, I
7: will. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you.
3: Mm. Thanks, Nathan. <laughs> I feel bad that I couldn't have answered that, but anyway.
0: <laughs> what have we got? So we've got some questions, and and sorry if I if I haven't got to your question. It's um usually for two reasons. Just that you know I'm not ignoring you. It's either that it's ex, it, it's extremely specific, um, or it's something that I feel like we've already covered. So so if um, if I haven't answered. Uh, called on your question that's why um, I'm, i might then go to this big juicy thing that's happening in the chat as our final question and i don't know if you've been keeping an eye on it it's a little bit further up but there was a whole conversation about well we're all preaching to the converted here we're all people on board we love everything each other's saying hurrah but who should be hearing these conversations and how do we get these conversations in front of them do you have any thoughts about that as our kind of almost and then, and then final wrap-up thoughts?
2: It's tricky because I feel like I have had this conversation and done this panel a billion times before, but they're always in environments. They're often in environments where it's largely why it's is able-bodied people, um, but whether or not they're listening, I'm not sure considering we're here now. <laughs> having the same conversation many years later. Um, so I will say that those conversations are definitely happening. And there's a, there's a lot of frustration, especially like with, uh, with CALD people, you, you sort of get to the green room and be like, oh, what are you here for? The diversity panel, I could tell. Like, <laughs> like just the token diversity panel of the festival. Um, and I think that's been happening less in those spaces whether that's because more diverse people are just being part of are being involved in the main program as participants, or because maybe the subject of diversity is now gone stale, I'm not sure. But I mean, I think it's still helpful to have these conversations amongst ourselves. And I saw Anna put in a message about their saying gaining skills to bring about a shift by learning from each other's experiences. I mean, often I will just get together with writer friends and we'll just talk about the crappy things that have happened or the things that we want to change. And that steals us because we feel vindicated that, you know, if we were being gaslit in a situation where we felt unsafe, oh, actually, I'm not crazy. (laughs) Like, I'm not um, imagining things. Um, Or, you know, it it reinforces to you that you're not alone but you can also avoid those people if other people had bad experiences with them.
1: Uh, I love that answer I think yeah just I love the 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 gaslighting thing and just just even just to support each other. At Diversity Arts we've been doing a lot of really um, in-depth training like we do long training programs with organizations six months 12 months four months and that are um Often, predominantly with um, you know, representative of the sector, very white able-bodied people. So we we are having those conversations, and they're and they're hard conversations because they're conversations that are about unlearning, and unlearning is really hard. But it's also awesome to have those conversations with allies and other um, and people who we are seeking to support, represent, and. Like, it's actually really awesome. I'm learning from the questions and areas that we should know about or maybe be doing more work on.
3: Or, so thank you. Hear, oh, yeah, hear. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I I, I think that really um, we make change by making work too. We put our work into our artistry. and We put our, our advocacy, sorry, into our, our artistry and We've got to keep doing that because it's so much better than having a dry discussion or making some kind of um, you know dry comment about this repeating ourselves constantly which oh my god I think that I repeat myself a lot and have done over the years you know I'm still saying the same things that I was saying five years ago and I probably will be saying the same things in another five years, but hopefully things will shift. Who knows? Yeah. But I do think making work is the key. All
0: right. I lied. I'm going to have two more tiny questions. Cause Jess, um, Marty is, is, is desperate. If, if, if anyone needs to, to go, sorry, Jess, not to call you out like that, but you've been peppering me with questions. I want to give you an opportunity to ask it. Um, so if we can spotlight Jessica, that'd be great. Thanks James. And yeah, um, um, I'm not sure what time. I think this was advertised to go to 7:30, so we should be okay. Um, hi Jessica, thank you for your patience.
9: Hi. Sorry. Wait, I didn't mean to send it again. I accidentally pressed paste and I was like, no. <laughs> I'm, really bad. I'm like, oh my god, they're gonna think. I'm like, oh,
0: Hey, but this is the fire that Kate was talking about. If you're persistent, you get there.
2: <laughs> oh my God! Go go for like, it. Delete, delete. Oh. Okay.
9: Hi. Hi. I just wanted to ask. Um, for me, I person. Well, I feel like there's a lot of people that are actors that have their a different accent, and I have a specific accent, and I feel like. Sometimes with you know, for auditions and stuff, I wonder, do I go with my natural self or do I go with American or Australian? Of course, if the brief says American or Australian, I'll do that. but should I do it with more of my unique twang? and this goes for every person really that has an accent really or or something specific to them because I just feel like if i if I don't, then I might not then be. Considered, I guess, and like you guys were discussing before, like then you're considered as like you, you know you have different roles. Like, oh, you're the maid, or you're the waiter, or you're the this, you're the that. But so that's why I'm like, if I want to get the role, then do I just comply to what they want, which is their specific accent? You know, that's my question. Sorry, it's a bit long, but I hope it makes sense. But thank you for giving me the chance to ask. <laughs>
1: as
0: a director
1: I'm wondering if you might have some insights into this one
0: I mean I can see in 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 the chat at Anna you know is talking about we need more accent diversity it's certainly a thing that is is an issue Um, you know going to drama school and being taught Italian and French accents and I was like I can't even get cast as Australian like so why am I learning these European accents Um, yeah I don't know Jess it's it's something that from my point of view, you're going to have to decide for yourself and it may change as your career goes along. It might be that early on you um, decide to shape yourself into the mould that is being asked to get the work. I think actors, unfortunately, have to do that. And at some point in time, you'll make a decision to go, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, Um, yeah, potentially. But, um, you know, I think it's also all the questions about networking and stuff, getting – meeting people who are going to be like – you've come on the screen with this cool energy, like you're now burned in my brain. When I need to cast someone like you, I'm like, cool, yes, Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Michelle, do you have anything to add?
2: Yeah, accents are really tricky. I mean, I've, I've often had conversations, like especially with Asian-Australian artists where they will, I might write what their actual ethnicity is for a character in a show of mine and they're like, oh my God, this is the first time I've actually played my actual ethnicity, like in all other roles, I've been like Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, (laughs) like Burmese, like, you know, it's, it's something that they've had to contend with throughout their entire careers. And I think for them, it's similar to what Pearl was saying, you know, when you're starting out, you sort of are trying to get as many opportunities as you can. So you sort of make those concessions And whether or not you're comfortable with that, I think is like a personal choice. Um, But I think absolutely. And I remember reading this article about Arnold Schwarzenegger and how he had his uh, very strong accent and he went to Hollywood and he wanted to be a leading man. And they were all like, well, no, because you're not an American leading man because you don't sound American. Um, And then that became his trademark like that is his yeah. brand you know because he is he stayed true to who he was and he didn't try to cover or change himself in any way so I think you know just being authentic to you and what you feel is right in that moment for you personally is the most the best you can do like for yourself
9: yeah okay cool no that's really helpful thank you
2: thank, thank you thank you
0: and, and okay final question I'm gonna throw to Kevin Von um i think it's a really great wrap-up question can we spotlight kevin and um so you can r- r- uh put any final thoughts into your answer for this question, question as, well. as well hi kevin hey
8: everyone i'm big fans of you all and I, I kind of feel like you just answered it um mm, yeah i think you kind of just answered with that Arnold schwarzenegger example but um yeah you know it is a struggle to have conversations with people who are in the industry and they're part of the industry that all of us are here to change and they want to put you in this box and you think oh i thought you were an ally of mine in my mind because you know i'm not as experienced in the industry um, as them so i don't really want to ask them like why do you think that is or aren't you just um propagating these stereotypes um, and so my question is, like, is this the way for us to, um, as people trying to get into the industry and, you know, get us, uh, set ourselves a name for ourselves, to play the game, play the industry, um, and then ninja our way through? Um, it's, it's I, don't know, I don't know about you all, but it's really challenging because, you know, I'm not... Um, you know, I'm not in high school anymore, you know, I'm, you know, what I'd like to think, you know, intelligent, and I know where we are going with progress. And it's very hard to keep my mouth shut sometimes. And I think sometimes when I do talk to them about these issues, um, sometimes they get very defensive. And they, they're just like, well, Kevin, you either, you know, work with them, or you, you don't work at all. I'm just like, okay so i'm not really sure what to do with this information you know do we i mean we i'm so grateful that we live in this age where we can write we can um you know do things like youtube and stream um so yeah my question is what should we do in in light of this you know transition stage that the whole industry is in yeah hope that makes sense i I spoke a lot
2: yeah yeah I, I have about it a lot definitely especially when I was I remember getting a role a, an audition for um, a character that was like she was the butt of the joke because she couldn't speak fluent English and everything was in double entendres. And she was like, I don't like a sexy sort of made, Asian made character. And I remember just going to the casting director, actually, I don't want to audition for this because it's quite racist. And I'm happy to speak to you about why I don't want to audition for it. And I, of course I never heard from them again, <laughs> but, but um, it's sort of reinforced to me. And this has just been my experience um, in that when you're in the arts, Helps if you do more than one thing. Um, so if you're if you're acting primarily, if you can also write or, you know, direct or produce as well, that is only ever going to be in your favor, um, especially when you come from a minority background, because it gives you a lot more agency and a lot um, more control. Um, and it gives you a bit of credibility when you approach those people. And you know, you say actually, people don't want that content necessarily because they they are responding to the things that I'm making, and I don't do that stuff. Um, and I think there's it's pretty healthy. I think it's healthy to like um, hold those people accountable and call them out if 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 you feel like you're in a safe environment to do so, because you know it might be that nobody's ever questioned them before. And they're defensive because they're scared of their own ignorance. Um, And whether or not they're gonna self-educate after that is up to them. Um, But at the end of the day, you can't control what, how other people are gonna react to what you're giving them. (laughs) Um, And I used to think that I had to play the game from the inside, and I think that's changed, especially in the last five or so years um, with, with things slowly starting to become more equitable. Um I sort of just feel like we're at this tipping point now, especially with this people in our generation where um older gatekeepers are literally starting to die. Yep. <laughs> and um we can start shifting shifting the balance. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to <laughs> uh, we can start shifting things and um, and it's fantastic, yeah, that you mentioned things like YouTubing and being able to stream your own stuff and TikTok's a really great platform as well because I think that's, you you have your own grassroots way of building your own audience to the point where you might not need those people or they'll be coming to you offering opportunities. Love your answer, aunt,
3: Michelle. I love that because, because
4: uh,
3: it, it can speaks to it, it, it it, leadership, you know, and... Um, And the taking up of leadership in some way. And I think that that is what needs to happen. We need to drive the narrative ourselves. And the only way we can do that is by putting ourselves in that position. I think that's that's the way of it. Amazing. Fantastic.
0: What a great conversation. Thank you so much to everyone for asking questions for the conversation, the spirited conversation in chat was amazing. Um, To the three of you, Lena, Michelle, Kate, thank you so much for your candid answers, your generosity of time and not just here in this hour and 15 minutes, but for all your work in the industry, I'm massive fans of all three of you. Thank you so much. I'm going to step away from this and have a very happy dinner, you know, um, feeling that very full from everything that you've said. So thank you very much, everyone. Thank you.
1: Media Super is the principal sponsor of the Equity Foundation. For more information about the work of the Foundation, visit equityfoundation.org.au or follow Australian Actors' Equity on Facebook and Twitter.